Please remain standing and open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. And our text this morning will be the first seven verses. So 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7 says this. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick, threw it in there, and made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. Please be seated. been familiar with this story since a little kid and reading Bible stories with our family. I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon preached on it, but maybe I have. But uh, anyway, an interesting little text nestled in between a couple of big stories. Uh, let's pray. We've already prayed in our song and, uh, and uh, asked the Lord to help us, but we're going to pray again. So let's do that. Lord, thank you for your word today. By your gracious Holy Spirit's help, be with us as we contemplate this text, and we do pray that it will uh, change our lives and nudge us uh, uh, further in the right direction of understanding you and, and trusting you, uh, convict us where we need that, encourage us where we need that, and we thank you that we're not doing this alone and trying to figure it out, but we have the wonderful help of, of your Holy Spirit as we uh, engage with this text, so we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we know in life there are big things and there are ordinary things. There are global events going on around us, but global events such as we saw in the text last week where Syria was coming to Israel and, and you had all of these mighty things and there was an individual at the heart of it, but there's global stuff we're going to see some big stuff in our sermon next week with that text. And we say, why is this little thing in here? Why these six or seven verses in the middle of all of that? But most of us in our own lives can trace our lives and look at turning points. And we can see the outlines of our life. Uh, listening to these 20 hours uh, audio book of Yogi Berra's life, I thought, there is so much that... I will never know about anyone's life, even if somebody's researched it and, and taken things and given me highlights and explained those highlights. We just have these lives to live with big things, with little things. Sometimes things that seem little turn out to be big, and that's always interesting to look back and see that. But the big, the little, we can look at the big and we can say God was there guiding and directing us. But what about the in-between days, the ordinary days, 
the in-between months and the in-between years. Is God there also? That's the question. And if you ask that question of our text today, the text is going to say yes. And we say yes, God is there. I used to have a friend that I would see more frequently than I do now. And I would say, just to, just to get a gauge on his life, and, and I'd say, hey, how can I be praying for you? Anything I can be praying for you for? And his answer was always the same. I finally started just asking it just because I knew the answer and I wanted to hear the answer. The answer was, oh, no, not, nothing to pray for me for. I'm doing all right. Uh, there's a lot of people hurting out there. Pray for them. And I figured out that what he was really trying to say is I don't want to complain about my life. I'm grateful about my life. He wasn't being unspiritual. If I had sensed that he was saying uh, God's, his opinion of God is God's in a, in a glass and you need to break the glass and pull the extinguisher out if there's a trouble. If he had that opinion of God, but I knew he didn't. I think what he was just trying to say was pray for others and God has blessed me so much. But listen, if he had been saying I've got life and I can handle life in the small stuff and I'll take God for the big things. He would have been wrong. And when we do that, when I do that, I'm wrong. The ways that this text has been misinterpreted are funny. It's astounding to see old sermons and ways that people have approached it. All this text is, and I gave it that title. What did I title it again? A little story about God meeting a need. That's what we need so often in our lives. A little story about God meeting a need. Uh, Some of the ways this text has been misinterpreted. It's been rationalized and explained. People have said in history as they look at it, well, Elisha just poked around with a stick and he moved the axe head to a shallower place where the guy could retrieve it. Or he picked the right stick and he had known how that axe head, how that stick could hook in and he like went fishing in the water like a spear fishing, only he went for an axe head and pulled it out. They've rationalized it and said, not a miracle, didn't happen. Other people have gone a step further and said, uh, nothing even remotely like it happened. This is just legendary. This is the legend of Elisha that sprung up around him. And all these legends come up. This is Pecos Bill, and this is Paul Bunyan, and this is just legend. Something they've done to Jesus in something called the Jesus Seminar a few decades ago, where they got together and they took out everything that they knew couldn't possibly happen and and eliminated the miracles. Or like the Thomas Jefferson Bible, where he cut off everything supernatural and had a little thin thing about Jesus' teachings. They've done that to this passage. But Christians also have taken a funny look at a passage like this. And uh, there was a stage, and maybe people still do it, but a, a strong stage where everything was allegory. Everything was allegorized. And so they said, uh, actual sermon, the axe head represents a sinner's soul. The Jordan represents judgment. The soul has sunk beneath the waters of judgment and is lost. But all of a sudden, enter that cross, that piece of wood. Uh, Cross is made out of wood. And that represents Jesus. And when that cross goes down into the water, the soul comes up. 
and, and at least they're sharing the gospel and something about Jesus, but we can get into major trouble when we over-allegorize anything and everything. Uh, we were warned against this in seminary. So this is, this is Dr. Davis talking about allegorizing your wife's shopping list when you go to the store. He says, the problem with allegory is that it seldom works. A husband wouldn't dare allegorize his wife's grocery list. She has noodles written down. He says to himself that we have the expression, use your noodle, meaning use your head. So he flips a head of lettuce into the grocery cart. She has marshmallows on the list. Marshmallows are soft. She wants something soft. So he gets a four-pack of the softest paper towels he can find. Chicken is on the list. He recalls that sometimes we call people chicken if they seem to lack courage. Sometimes we accuse such folks of being yellow. Immediately he has his clue. She wants something yellow. But is it butter or cheese? And then he says, now you can interpret your wife's grocery list like that if you want. But I suggest that upon leaving the grocery store, you simply keep on driving out into the sunset and not bother to go home. There is no warrant for allegory here in this text, he says. No warrant for it. The axe head is a real hunk of iron, not a human soul. The stick is a tree limb, not the cross. The river is simply the Jordan. And so we don't want to allegorize. We do want to look at scripture and say, where's the gospel in this? And we will do that, but not in a straight-up allegorical sort of way. Another way that we misinterpret texts is to moralize them. We say, okay, this text is saying, don't borrow someone's axe head. Uh, just don't borrow. And there is a text and a warrant for that that says the borrower is servant to the lender. We'll hear more about that on Tuesday night. Um, but um, also, maybe people have said work in teams. Don't work by yourself. Everybody was grabbing his own log, and maybe it's work in teams is a moral story from this. Or um, don't engage in building programs. Uh, those types of things. And people can moralize that. But what do we do when we come to a text like this then? What's the way? What's it in here for? And all we want to do is see what the text actually says. Don't overthink it and search for something new or profound. What does the Bible say? What's it there for? We'll ask the questions and look at it. Um, what does it mean? It, it's already profound. What does it mean without the moralizing or the allegorizing or the denying? And I found personally a good way to look at, at, at any text, a good starting point is to say, what is the Bible telling me about God? What is God saying about himself? Why, since scripture is God-breathed, as we talked, me and Bruno talked about this yesterday in our chapter, about God given and God breathed. God is telling us something about himself. What is he telling us about himself? What can we learn about how God operates with his people? How does it compare with other biblical texts and what's it trying to teach us? So three points today from this simple text. One, God's concern for a simple need. That's going to be in 5 verse A. Second, God's power for a genuine need. 5 verse B and God's providence for a future need, and that's in 3 and 4. So God's concern for a simple need.
God is not so great and so occupied with world events, not so big and not so so, uh, huge and mighty that he can't be bothered by me and you, us simple, ordinary people with our requests. What makes God great is that God can do all of that and do all of this. Um, trying to think, it's not, not in my notes, I'm, I'm thinking of, of, a, of, of a line from a song where, where uh, Bill Maloney uh, sang about trusting God and knowing he's able to keep track of every card that I've laid on the table. And, and, and God, God is the ultimate card counter. He knows what's in the deck, he knows what's in everybody's hand, he knows what's been played, he knows. God can keep that stuff straight. We get confused. We try and outsmart ourselves. God has it all tied up together, the big, the little, the in-between, the things that we think are, are big that he thinks is little, the things we think are little that God knows is big, and, and all of that. God's got it together. This is telling us about that. And what we consider and what our simple needs are, God is concerned about. The hairs of your head really are numbered. The hairs of your head really are numbered. Not just the heads of state have their heads and the hair on their head numbered, but us, you, his person, his beloved child, his daughter, his son. And your lost, borrowed axe head matters to God. When that little girl raised her hand and asked the Sunday school class teacher if she would pray for her struggling goldfish, the wise woman who was teaching that class discerned that it wasn't a request given in jest, but was really tugging at the little one's heart. She realized that that wasn't the time to steer her in the direction of needs that really matter. And she wasn't sure that a God who sees a sparrow fall really wasn't concerned about a dying goldfish. She remembered the biblical injunction to weep with those who weep. So she led those little kids in prayer, thanking God for the gift of all goldfish everywhere. And she prayed for God's will to be done in the life of that fish. Was she wrong? Did she miss a teaching moment? Or did she capitalize on that teaching moment? From God's perspective... What is a complicated need and what is a simple need? Look at one of those aerial maps. You know, they go up there and they fly and they take pictures and they draw outlines of boxes of, and you can see some houses and some structures. Tell me which one represents a million-dollar house and which ones represent garages. I can't tell. God looks at needs. Which are needs that are important? I'm only going to pray for the big stuff. What's the big stuff? God cares about a guy who borrowed an axe head and he's chopping the log down. It goes in the water and it's borrowed. Bigger deal in that day, by the way. Somebody compared it to borrowing a car because of of what it took to make an iron axe head. And and in that region of the country, they didn't have ore and and things. So to to get get it done, but he's probably pretty proud. (laughs) Think of this guy. Thought about it. (laughs) Everybody's coming with their old-fashioned tools, but he's got the accent because he knows somebody who knows somebody. He got the, he got the borrowed accent, and he was a cool dude with his accent until it went in the water. 
Maybe. Maybe that's how it went with him. I don't know. But uh, he lost his borrowed axe head, and God cared. Simple need. Simple need. From God's perspective, when you think about God's perspective, here's a joke I I told Emma and Eve they have to laugh at, and if nobody laughs, I'm going to go like this, and they're going to have to laugh. Guy was flying on his airplane for the first time, and he gets on the airplane, and he looks down, and he's trying to sound like he knows what he's doing and talking about, and he says to the guy next to him, those people down there look like ants. And the guy says, they are ants. We haven't left the ground yet. Okay, it's bad. Um, God's perspective. Think of God's perspective, and what is a need? What is a real need and a need to bother God about? God care about uh, when your basement floods? <laughs> Does God care about... Uh, the things that wake you up at night? Yes. Simple needs are on God's radar as much as what we think are the big things. God is concerned for the needs of his people, the big ones and the simple ones. Okay, so it's one thing for God to be concerned about a simple need. But what if God just had concern for all the simple needs of his people but didn't have the power to meet the genuine needs of his people? What if God was just a good one, a good shoulder to cry on, but he did nothing about it and, and, and was incapable? And our second point, God's power for a genuine need. God's power for that. That's in the last half of verse 5. He's filling a log, the axe head fell into water, and all of a sudden it's a, it's, he's crying out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. How's he going to go home and tell his wife? How's he going to dig out of that debt? No one will ever loan him anything again. What's going to happen? On the one hand, it was simple. It was a lost axe head. But it was truly a genuine need. In those days, they couldn't stop at Home Depot and pick one up on the way home. Replace it. Big deal. Serious even though only two people in their families were affected. The guy who borrowed the axe and the guy who loaned the axe. What's he going to say to his family? <laughs> Oops. And we look and we see genuine needs. And God, who has a concern for the simple need, but also has the power, being God. You know, those are my kids and grandkids I worry about. You got your kids and grandkids to worry about. God cares about my kids and grandkids and he cares about your kids and grandkids and God has power. My mom was so happy to tell me this incident when I talked to her on the phone this week. My nephew Trey says, I want to talk to grandpa. Have grandpa call me. And my dad calls Trey And Trey says, Grandpa, I got saved. And what tears. And what dad who says, I pray for these kids and grandkids all the time, and my problem is I'm just not patient. And I want God to do it right away. But but to see God and God's power answers these prayers. God is sympathetic with you, but God is also powerful to do You can count on your God for help in the time of a genuine need. 
Now, the caveat is wants versus needs, and you can work through that uh, and think about that. But you have a genuine need. You don't think your Heavenly Father uh, feels that for you, who can supply everything, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who, who can move uh, mountains and move nations. You don't think that that Heavenly Father cares about your genuine need? What can't God do for you in your time of need if he sets his mind and wants to do it? What can't he do? So we see a God who has a concern for a simple need, who has power to get into your life and and, and work on those genuine needs. And this is interesting. This is revisiting, again, God's providence for a future need. And you see, things were already set in place. What's the story? Elisha's got this little school for prophets, this little college, and uh, they're, they're kind of getting on each other's nerves. There's maybe, you know, they're lining up and fighting over the bathrooms to brush their teeth and shave and all that stuff. And they say, man, we just need a little bit bigger place. You know, God's sending people and all that, and, and we're, we're struggling. Let's go down. Let's build a bigger place. So, okay, go, go. They're going to go down and they're going to cut. Each one's going to cut a log, it says. So they've got a building plan. They've got the work spread out and they, they've got this idea for this place. And one of them, look at this, just kind of offhand. Because Elisha's saying go. In verse 3, one of them said, be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I'll go. And there he was with them. And it's when they came to the Jordan that they cut down the trees and all this happened. Think of God just in the casual, the offhand. Hey, Elisha, come along with us. All right, I, I don't have any fire to call down from heaven today. I don't have any uh, people to, to do this. I, I, yeah, I'll go. I'll come along and, and I'll watch. I'll be there. And there he was when this simple need needed to be met. And you can see, can't you, God's hand even in the little things, working God's providence in the little stuff. I mean, I love to talk about God's providence in the big stuff. I love to tell stories from U.S. history about George Washington and all those uh, Indians who said they shot at him during the French and Indian War and they knew they hit him, but he, he was unscathed and God preserving him for this and that. And, and, and I, love, I love the Churchill quote that you guys... Uh, uh, have to hear every now and then when it comes to this, where Churchill said in World War II, there was something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which whether we like it or not, demands our attention. And I love big God in the sweep of history, and you can see God throughout it. But boy, I think practically for each of us, that same God that does that does it just as caringly and involved with as much involvement and as much concern for us in our little ordinary lives and God meeting future needs by things that happen back then. Thinking about God being sovereign, God having a plan that is good for his people. 
And we sing Amazing Grace, and there's that one line in there that said, the Lord has promised good for you. And you think about God moving in lives. Pain in one place in our lives has led. We can all tell stories about this when we stop and think about it. Pain that has ultimately been used for God's good. And it's not like God being an opportunist, but even the pain being a gift from God to bring us to that place because God knows where we're going and what he's doing with us. Our lives can look chaotic at times. Corrie Ten Boom, uh, the Dutch woman who, who uh, along with her family, helped save many Jewish people from concentration camps, would go around as an old lady and she would talk, not just about that, but she would bring out this cross-stitch um, picture with a Bible verse on it. And the Bible verse was something I should have looked it up, but I didn't, and I've forgotten what it was. But it was about God's sovereignty and God being in control. It was those types of things from Psalms. And she said, look at this, the order in this. And then she flipped it over. And if you've ever seen the backside of a cross stitch with all these threads running chaotically all over the place to hook up here and hook up there. And that's like our lives so many times. The chaos of our life, and there's no pattern and no sense, but when you turn it around, you say, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And that doesn't apply just to governments and to the sweep of history and the the hinges of big history. It applies to the little hinges of our wonderful lives that God loves so much that he sent Jesus to redeem and save. Be encouraged by God and the way that God gives providence even for future needs. Now contemplate this. Think about it. And maybe you're thinking along these lines with me. Maybe you're saying something like this. Since I have a heavenly father who cares for me, who provides, who is even there in the small but genuine needs that I have in my life, the least I can do is trust him with the future. Since I have that God, the least I can do is trust him with the future. And he loves me even when I wake up and worry. Because man, he's down there worrying again. Love him. (laughs) Wish he wouldn't worry so much. He's getting to the point where he's going to worry less. And I also think along these lines, the other thing I can do is live up to the family name. I've got a father who loves me, but he's a famous father. My family is my Christian family. I can let my light shine before men that they see my good works and glorify my Father who's in heaven. And I must take stock of my life. We were little kids singing in Sunday school. We'd sing this song. And I I know one or two of us probably who have similar upbringings, uh, looking at a couple of you right now, uh, you probably sang this. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. And then... The, the next verse would be, oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. I can't remember that they had us sing, be careful, little brain, what you think. That would have been too much for us little kids at that time. Maybe they did. Maybe you guys sang it. You can tell me afterwards. But listen, the punchline and the, the, the clincher for that wasn't just moralizing 
be good, be good, be good. If you remember those, talking about how we conduct ourselves. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down. Well, that, that uh, could be scary. But that's not where the song ended. The Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes. There's a motivation to live for God because we have a Father in heaven that's looking down in love on us. A Father who cares about our simple needs, who can take care of our big needs. He's got the power to do it and he does it and we see it. And a Father up in heaven who works all things together for good, even even the things that seem like they're hard times at the time. Okay, so I promised you the gospel in this sermon. Where's the gospel? Can we do it without allegory? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And so you be with me and you hear the gospel presented in this sermon without saying the wood is the cross and, the, and all that stuff. So here's the text. And here's what we see. First of all, we've seen that God cares for the common person. He gives. And if you look at this one and you skip back to 2 Kings 5, the woman with the sons who had the oil that didn't pour out, uh, all those, there's three or four times there of little common people stories. God cares for the common person, and these are vignettes of individual salvation. I love getting into theology. I love to see the big thing about how we can't save ourselves and how God sent Jesus to bear our sins, and we talk about, and we must talk about the the sweep of theology and how big it is. But along with that comes the individual people that God came to save. It's not just an idea of theology. It's you, if you're a Christian. Get excited about the theology of the atonement, the person and work of Christ, how he's the provision for salvation. Look at all these things and, and, and Love that and see that. Get lost in the word propitiation. What does propitiation mean? Do a word study. Look it up and everything. But while you're doing it and you see how it fits together, see how it fits together for you, the individual, the one who God had his sights set on. The complexity of it and yet breaking it down to a simple unit, you. And this is why I love how Packer put it in Knowing God. The Christian life and Christianity summed up in three words. Adoption through propitiation. And you see the individual and God's relationship with you, Christian, and with me. And you see that it's personal. And yet you see that it's big and sweeping and grand. There's your gospel. Regarding, so God's for the simple, the unit, the little person. God's got the power to save, just as God had the power to save. He's not just wanting to save, he does save, he's mighty to save. We sing that song every now and then. And God works events together to bring you to him, just like he worked these events together there. Same God operating in a different sphere, the spiritual sphere, uh, and we see him operating in the, in the physical sphere, but it's the same God, it's how God operates, and it, that's what it applies to for us. And as we sum it up, regarding God's provision for you, little old you and little old me, 
dwelling in relative obscurity in North America in the 21st century. We may be insignificant to the so-called movers and shakers, but that doesn't mean we don't have problems. We have problems. Hit random on my playlist, which, which I, I do just to get classical jazz. Uh, David Suchet comes in, I'll read a chapter of scripture. I think I have Anna Karenina and a chapter of that. I'll just let it roll and just hear what plays. <laughs> and Nancy Griffith's song came on and played. It's been going through my head. And Paul and I even talked about, talked, it popped up in our conversation. But she had a song that talked about how it's a hard life wherever you go. And you think about the hard life that people have. Wherever you go, people are struggling. I listen to about 10 pages a day. It's about 15 minutes. I'm working my way through this book about the Dust Bowl days called The Worst Hard Time. And you think about people who are out there working hard and and they're just subject to whatever happens in the elements. And uh, people go through hard times. You don't go through hard times. uh, You're lying and you don't understand what hard times are. Or you will. We have those difficult times. Events are out of our control even today. Read that even Warren Buffett is losing money. Uh, he lost money and he's warning about a recession. Like, I wish it was Jimmy Buffett saying that, not Warren Buffett, because I'll take it serious when Warren Buffett says it. Uh, we don't know what we're headed for as a country, as a people, and how that goes. We may be like the people in the Dust Bowl days. We don't know. But what we know as Christians is we have a heavenly father who is aware of simple needs, who has power to deliver in the big needs, and who even works now working all things together for good to those who love God. And we, all, we know as Christians we had one very big genuine need, and it's the need that every single person ever conceived has. And that's a sin problem, and that's a need to be right with God. And if God solved that one and called you, opened your eyes and let you see your need of of Jesus and your need of repentance and your faith in him, won't he freely together with him give us all things? Won't he supply? All the way to heaven. I just, I wrapped it up. My thoughts on this and getting ready to pray through and, and preach it about this biblical stuff and this sweep of history and the seeming insignificant and the obvious, all of it leading to the birth of Jesus Christ. And this is God and the gospel. This is the gospel. God setting the the stage, making it ready, everything coming together where Jesus was born at just the right time for the right reasons. And I want us to, to, to close just thinking about this as God's working it out for us individually and in history with his son. Galatians 4, 4, and 5 is where we'll close. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of his. God working it all together. You are a, You are wonderfully... This one, I want to use Christian cliches. I don't want to say blessed unless you understand what I mean by blessed. You are wonderfully blessed. You are given a gift. You are chosen by God. You are adopted into his family. You're God's kid. 
if you are. And what does that mean? That means even this day-to-day stuff. He's got it covered. He cares about it. I tell people when they're worried about someone they love who's strayed from the truth or who's not even a Christian, you know, made that profession of faith. God's more interested in that person than you are. So God's the one. Don't be on the wrong side of the history that really matters when it comes to that. And trust God with your everyday needs. They aren't simple. They're not nothing. God's not going to say, okay, I've got to get you out of the way so I can get to this big stuff. You're the big stuff. You're his son. You're his daughter. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your care for our needs. The everyday stuff that we go through. Thank you for the privilege it is to call on you. Thank you for taking care of the biggest thing, the need that, that it brought us into your family. Thank you for Jesus Christ uh, bearing the wrath of, 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 of the Father, of you, on himself in our place. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that Jesus uh, endured the equivalent of an eternity in hell for each of the people he came to save. But thank you with that, he doesn't just turn us loose then and not care. Thank you, Lord, that you are our Father and that you are aware of our needs, you're sympathetic to them, you can meet them, and thank you for all you're doing even now in that regard. In Jesus' name, amen. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, 